Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved ones. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say, listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for an episode of the Death Dialogues Project podcast. I'm your host for today, Kate Bruns. My sincere hope is that no matter the reason you're tuning in, you will find something with which to relate and connect. But most importantly, I hope something you hear today brings you peace. Thanks for being with us. Michelle Benyo is a mother of two, a certified grief recovery specialist, an early childhood educator and parent coach, and the founder of Good Grief Parenting. After her six-year-old son died of cancer, her three-year-old daughter said to her, Mommy, half of me is gone. This heartbreaking statement defined Michelle's life purpose. Her mission is twofold, to help parents through the unimaginable challenges of parenting while grieving the death of a child, and to help parents meet the unique needs of a child who has lost a sibling in the early childhood years. The desire of Michelle's heart is to see families live forward after loss toward a future bright with possibilities and even joy. Michelle's wisdom as she navigated her son's illness and subsequent death is incomparable to anything I've heard, and I'm sure you'll feel the same. Thanks for being here with us. All right, we are live. Thank you so much for being here today, Michelle. Thank you, Kate. It's I'm so happy to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So am I. You know, we were able to connect about three weeks ago, and I've been so excited to jump into recording this episode with you. Um, so if you can go ahead and just tell our listeners where you are in the world, and then you can just jump right into your story of loss, and we can chat from there, that's okay. Okay. Well, I am coming to you, if you mean literally in the world, from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, in my life in the world, I am 21 years past beyond the loss of my six-year-old son. And so I have been walking this journey of child loss, um, this experience of child loss for 21 years. And um, I am now working with families who have experienced child loss and, uh, and loving to talk to people on podcasts because I just want to make people aware of the work that I'm doing. And that is to work with uh, families raising young children. Because when my son died at the age of six from, after a two and a half year battle with cancer, 
he left behind his mom and dad, but also a three and a half year old sister who just adored him and he adored her and they were best of friends. And um, she had been with us through the whole two and a half year journey. We uh, we included her very much in that because um, we weren't going to just have three of us in the hospital and three of us battling this and have her um, being on her own because that is really a scary place for a child to be. So she had been able to have this relationship with her brother. And when he died, she actually said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. And I paid very, I mean, any parent who would hear those words would be just heartbroken. I was, I was much more, um, her loss was much harder for me to carry and bear than my own because she was three and a half. She lost her big brother. She said half of her was gone. And I knew that was really true. And I had the advantage, I guess you'd call it, of being at this time an early childhood parent educator. So I worked with families every day who had children my children's ages. And I was very aware of uh, the development of a child in those early formative years, all of the brain development, all of the identity development, all of the um, the ways that their life experiences so deeply impact them at that young age and shape their future. So my focus was on a child of her age anyway as a professional. And I thought, I need to tackle this. It's not okay that she grow up half gone. And But I, I'm in this in this field, I know that I can get my hands on resources, but the problem was there were not any to be found. Remember, this was 21 years ago, and we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have the internet like we do now. Um, certainly didn't have Facebook groups or places to just reach out to people who had this experience and could help me. So I really needed to make my own way. And I pretty much knew then, being an educator at heart, that I would need to provide this support to families after I figured it out. So that's what I'm doing now. I don't want families to have that sense of what do I do now and, and not knowing where to turn that I had 21 years ago. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, it's I, I love hearing that you're kind of referring to yourself as a resource and you recognize back 20, 21 years ago, there were no resources. We didn't have these things available to us. And what an incredible thing that you were able to develop and, and start working with and helping with families who had experienced something similar. Um, you know, I'm wondering, you talked about your your job as an early educator, and I'm wondering if there were any challenges for you kind of working with with kiddos, maybe the same age as your son and, and your daughter at the time. Um, did that pose any challenges for you as you worked through your own grief and seeing those other kids um, thrive and survive? It, it it did. It was a, an interesting place for me to be. And what I, so much of a part of my journey, and I know I shared some of these things with you, and I need to share them with the audience, 
is the fact that none of us is ever prepared for something like this. None of us is ever prepared for um, ha- losing a child when our family is just getting started. And it is so devastating to have all of these dreams. I felt like I had a, a perfect family. I had a big brother and a little sister. And to me, that was just perfect. And we knew we were only going to have two children. And when we lost when our son got sick and our life was no longer what we dreamed it would be, it was really devastating. I was struck, though, by the fact that when I was um, getting my master's degree in family education and getting my uh, license to be an early childhood parent educator, I had a different job before my son was born. I was actually a communications coordinator in a school district. I had previously been a classroom teacher, and when I learned about uh, early childhood parent educators, I thought that's what I want to be. So I went back to school and when I was pregnant with my daughter and had her just a few months after I graduated. And when I was in at the university, I took a course where the professor had written a book called Loss of Dreams, all about the things that can happen to families that steal their dreams and what that does to a family to have to live forward after something devastating has, you know, has, has um, disrupted everything they, they expect and hoped for for their family. Never did I ever imagine. I was really touched by that whole idea of loss of dreams. And I thought, I, I, I was a parent educator largely because my role model for parenting was not the best and I wanted to do a better job and I wanted to help other parents do a better job. So um, when I learned about loss of dreams, I just thought I want to help parents get beyond loss of dreams and just make good things happen for children. And then there I was having my own loss of dreams. And so I really knew that I was just meant to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And it was really, it was a challenge for me, but it was also what I really discovered from many, many of the families I worked with was that it was, it was a gift for them in a way to see me able to come in. I really have, I have a, uh, I come from a Christian perspective and I have a deep faith and I feel like I just really did get some support and some peace in amazing ways to help me through this journey. So when I was with families and I would get teary, I would say to them, it's okay, don't worry. This is, this is just part of what, I, what a person does. It's just part of what I do when, uh, when I lose a child. But it just reminds me how important your kids are and why doing the best possible thing for our children is so important. So that was the way I, I positioned that. And it, it was really, uh, I think, meaningful and helpful for the families that I worked with. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I'm thinking about all the people that we've talked with and what we know about how people respond to grieving mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. usually, um, you know, even after you yourself have experienced grief at a deep level, um, when we encounter another person who is is grieving, 
sometimes it can be really hard to know what to say or do. Oh. I'm wondering how those families responded to you in those times when you would get teary, um, what their responses were. Did they try to comfort you? And was there anything that anybody said kind of on both sides that either helped you or you felt hurt you? Well, it was an interesting, uh, an interesting thing because the answer with my parents uh, to my face was really no. And I think it was because when I got teary, I didn't lo totally lose my, I didn't lose my composure. I was able to carry on. And as I said, I would just tell, I would just address it and say, I'm okay. Don't, don't worry. You know, I'm just, obviously, I mean, of course, they knew I had lost my son. So they knew why I was teary. Some of them would say, how can you come and talk to us about toilet training and discipline when you've gone through what you've gone through? And I always said to them, don't hesitate to bring up anything that's important to you and your family because our children are just so precious. And my experience just reinforces that. So I just really, one thing that, um, that I think some of us discover when we're going through this challenge of grief, and I'm sure others that you've talked with on your podcast have shared this, is we end up being educators in a way. I mean, we end up letting people know it's okay to talk to me. It's okay to bring this up because people are so wary of upsetting someone. And so I kind of did a lot of that with my parents, which was part of what they appreciated. And they told me they did. Some of them said, um, you know, I, I mean, many of them told me how meaningful it was to see how I handled it. And some of them said, I'm, I've started taking my family to church because I've seen how your faith has strengthened you and made you, you know, people like to call a griever who doesn't fall apart strong. So, you know, they saw me as strong. And, and so it was, it was a really a good experience. The one person who was a bit critical, and I, hmm, I maybe shouldn't even <laughs> say this, but uh, was was the director of the program. She was not comfortable with me, um, you know, talking about it. And it wasn't like I talked about it a lot. I mean, it was part of my life and they all knew it. Those families knew this. I had walked through this journey for two and a half years. And so everybody knew that what had happened to me, everyone in the program. Uh, but there are some people who are uncomfortable with the idea of death uh, being part of uh, work with young children. And I actually have come to believe very, very strongly that when children are exposed to grief or families are exposed to grief at, a, at, an, at that early age, it is really the best time to face it head on and talk about how we can best get through it and just normalize it. That's the most helpful thing that we can do for anybody, for ourselves and for the people who encounter us. That makes a lot of sense. Was that something, was that a conscious decision that you made? I know last time we talked, you had um, described how you included your daughter, Deanna, in in kind of this whole process. And you just recently talked about 
uh, bringing her to the hospital and kind of her, you described it as her being kind of part of the fight. And I'm wondering if that was a conscious choice for you, um, if it was something yes. you just knew had to happen or if there was something that maybe that book, that loss of dreams, did that help you? Was there something else that kind of told you that was the right way to go or did you just internally know? I think it was both. I uh, One thing I, I really do try to help families with that I talk to because when I when I experienced this Kate I had no experience with grief and I didn't have any close family members in the area who were there to support me or who had gone through you know who could I mean I had a lot of friends and I had a good church but um, I really did need to figure it out on my own but I tell uh, families that I work with that I think instinctively we know what's what's good and what's healthy. But one thing I think I told you about when we talked that was just that was so telling to me and this is the this is the little one that at the age of three and a half said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. She was only 15 months old when my son was diagnosed. He was four and a half. She was 15 months old and she was home with me the first night that he had to go to the hospital. His dad went with him and she was home with me and she started wandering around the house upstairs and downstairs and wandering to the garage door and wandering to David's bed. And she was just wailing. She was making a sound that was inhuman. It was alarming to me. I've never before or since heard a person make that sound. She was 15 months old. And I would go to her and try to pick her up, try to comfort her. And she would push me away and throw herself on the floor and just wail. She was feeling grief with every cell of her little body. She knew something was terribly wrong. And this was the first night David was gone. And we were one or both of us were with him almost all the time. He was only four and a half. He was at a children's hospital. They have really wonderful care for siblings there. We live in a cul-de-sac. We have a lot of friends in, in around us who would have gladly taken care of Deanna. But we said, you know what? We're not going to have three of us in one place and her by herself. Because little one, she she very clearly told me what I knew, which was even really little ones feel the stress and the strain and the awful things that are going on in the family. And the scariest thing for a really young child like her, who's never experienced this before, would be to be experiencing it alone. So we took her to the hospital with us when we were there and she got to play with David, be in his room. This was 21 years ago. Now the hospitals are very different, especially right now mm -hmm. with what's going on. Um, but even prior to COVID, hospitals had changed as far as accessibility of family members. But she was able to be in his room with him a lot of the time. And when not there, she got to go to sibling play. And she was very comfortable and happy and involved there and got to be with her brother 
for those two and a half years and become very close to him. I mean, I can't imagine what she would have lost with him dying when she was three and a half if she had not been able to spend those two and a half years with him in the hospital. She would have she would have had much less of a relationship with her brother. And I saw many families at the children's hospital who didn't do what we did. They wouldn't bring their other child there because they didn't want to expose them to kids with tubes coming out of their bodies. And sometimes, you know, we could hear unhappy kids. And sometimes she saw her brother going through painful things. But that's life. And that was the experience three of us were having. And if if she had, and of course, she wasn't always there, you know, when he was in great pain, and things were awful for him, she wasn't right there. But the point being, she she was very aware of the experience we were having as a family. And she was a part of it. And I would not have done it any other way. It also prepared her much better for the reality in the end, that her brother was going to die and she was not, you know, he was not going to be around anymore. She kind of understood a lot of things more than a three and a half year old typically would have. What a, what an experience for somebody that young. I mean, what an experience for anyone, Mm -hmm. any age to have, but especially to be that young and to have that internal sense that something was wrong when he was at the hospital with his dad. That's, it's so incredible and it speaks to to our genetics and that kind of evolutionary protection piece, I think. Um, can you speak at all to what it's like to parent another child after the loss of their sibling? Oh, yes. It is. It's the hardest thing. Um that that to me is what i mean loss and grief are devastating it's devastating to lose a loved one uh and people say that child loss is the worst loss and i don't know that we can really say any particular loss is the worst loss but the thing about child loss is that if you have other children you are reminded every day of that you are parenting one less child and you still and that child especially when they're young like like this this child needs all of you they they a three and a half year old a, a child from 15 months to three and a half years and beyond needs all of their parent they're learning everything about life and to try to be present for that child when you have been devastated by the death of a child, there's so much in that for a parent. There's the there's the idea that you weren't able to protect the child who died, that you lost a child, you lost this dream of all dreams, and you it's terrifying. What if you lose your other child? What you become unreasonably in some ways protective or you potentially could be you know so protective of your living child um, you're bumping into the loss and your child is bumping into the loss continually the reason that I work with parents beyond it with parenting because my work is really helping parents parent for the rest of their lives 
There are support groups and grief centers that help us with the loss in the beginning. There's a woman, Anne Royfe, who wrote a quote after her husband died, and she said, there are two parts to grief. The first part is loss, and the second part is the remaking of life. And it's that remaking of life that you, you know, I looked at my three and a half year old daughter who said half of me is gone. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's three and a half and her whole life is ahead of her. What do I do now? And it was about her whole life to adulthood. It wasn't just about, you know, we're in this pain now and we have to figure out how to not be in such deep pain. It was how do I raise her? without her brother. She had a brother. She is a sibling. Now her brother's gone. How do I do this? And that's the hardest place to be for two reasons, because your child is in, because your child is hurting and none of us want that for our child and you are hurting. And how can you, how can you do both at once? It's very hard. I imagine that would feel almost impossible as you were going through it. Um, What kind of support? I know you talked about church and things like that. What kind of support systems did you have as you went through that? And what were some of the helpful things that, that people did during that time? I think the most helpful thing for me really was the fact that I was in early childhood parent education every day. I mean, I I didn't continue to do that uh, all through my daughter's growing up. In fact, I only did it a couple more years before I left because I needed to be working more and earning more money. So I had to to leave that position. But when I was doing it in the beginning, just being with other parents uh, and, and having support of them was what was helpful. There was really no one, there really was no one who could tell me what to do. There wasn't at that time. And I find now that, um, and I was just talking to someone the other day who's been looking for the kind of support I offer. And she said, there's nobody doing this. And I said, I know, I don't think there's anyone else doing what I'm doing, which is helping parents get from early childhood to get their child from early childhood to adulthood with all of the, um, the things that recur in that child's life, you know, when they get older, they understand and experience their grief in new ways. It's different than for an adult because we're adults already. Um, But so, oh, you were, your question was, what did, how did I get help? And I would just say the way that I got, I really just started looking for everything I could get my hands on. And there wasn't a whole lot in the beginning and there got to be more, a little bit more as I went on, but just really looking for resources about children's emotional development and how that can be taught, you know, how their grief becomes a part of that and influences that and trying to figure out as they're going through development, is this grief or is this normal development? And does it really matter um, do I address it differently or the same? And I, um, I've really amassed all of the resources I could put my hands on about children's development 
and grief and the sibling relationship, which is just really unique also um, because the sibling relationship is lifelong even after the sibling dies. And that's another thing that I had no idea other than, you know, she gave me that big clue with what she said to me. But as I studied it and as I found studies of other people who had studied the sibling relationship, it became just so clear to me how deeply ingrained that is. And I think anyone who, who of any age who's lost a sibling would probably tell you that. But I, I really just had to learn it and study it on my own. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that and to hear you talk about your your process and your journey of learning. And it, it seems like so often when somebody experiences such a deep loss, people open their arms to that person. But I'm a very visual person and I keep imagining it's opposite for you. It seems like you were opening your arms through your journey of grief to other people and trying to help them through that. And that's just such an amazing thing. One thing I will say, Kate, is that as I talk to grievers, something that we so often experience is people telling us what to do. People telling us, do you think you're talking about your your deceased child too much? You're keeping their things. Shouldn't you be getting rid of the, their things? Shouldn't you be feeling a little bit better by now? Mm-hmm. What about your other child? I didn't really get that from people a whole lot. I remember one woman saying to me, because I every year on my son's birthday would do a commemorative um, activity that I would invite people to. And we did talk about David a lot. We did as a family, not just me, but we kept him as as a presence in our family. We'd remember him. We'd do things at times to, to you know, honor the things he was interested in. And I remember one time a woman questioning how that made Deanna feel. And she didn't, frankly, just didn't have a clue because I thought, I'm I'm raising Deanna. I'm with Deanna every day. Deanna is my focus. Um, I ended up, I didn't mention this, ended up getting divorced soon after my son died, not because of the loss of our son, because we were a very cohesive couple and family through his loss. But as it happens, we did end up getting divorced. So I was raising her as a single mom. She was my focus and she knew that. And to this day, you know, she, she knew that, but this other person didn't know it, but, um, I was just very open about David, and I was very open with people about how we do things, and I would tell people, and I would, when I took Deanna to her, to to classes where, with new teachers, I would tell them she had a brother who died, and his name's David, she will talk about him, we talk about him, you'll talk about him with her. I would just tell them this is normal. This is what we do. And so I really didn't encounter a lot of people second guessing what I was doing, I think because I was pretty clear about what we were doing as a family, and people accepted that. So 
Um, I don't, I felt like I got a lot of support. I got a lot of support for, for who I was and how I was doing things. As I said, I had a really strong church and some really good friends. The other thing though, that I think grievers experience, and I certainly did this in another way, was that if people think you're doing well, then they don't recognize some of the support that you could really use. They don't offer it to you because they don't realize how much you really do need it. I think that's absolutely right. I agree with that a hundred percent. And kind of along that same vein, you when last time we spoke, you had told me a story about uh, David saying, I'm a cheetah. Would you like to share that story with our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, David was a tender hearted little boy. And when he, when I learned that he had cancer, I just thought, oh no, not this child. He can't, this child cannot, can't handle this. And boy, did he prove me wrong. And, you know, I've, I've heard that story from other parents who have had children get sick. They are so strong. They are so resilient. And David was, and he, but he was feisty. He would, um, he didn't want, he would hit the doctors and the nurses in the beginning. And when at one point he had to get um, radiation for six weeks, 90 seconds of radiation, Monday through Friday for six weeks, and he would not tolerate it. So they had to completely put him under because otherwise he would become a cheetah and he would not let them touch him. And he just, that was his idea of this is how I'm fighting back. And the nurses said to us, and I was alarmed, you know, I was trying to make my child behave. And the nurses and doctors said, oh, don't worry about it. We like them when they're feisty because that means they're fighting. And that was just such a powerful perspective for me to get. I mean, I, I was also just so blessed by the staff at the hospital. You know, they were, of course, a children's hospital that knew how to handle children. And uh, I was a young mom. He was my firstborn. And I, I learned a lot about how to work with him and help him from them. So, yeah. I think we hear that from so many people who have, you know, spent a lot of time in hospitals, things like that. It, it seems like there's just a huge blessing when it comes to um, hospital employees, the staff, the doctors, the nurses, um, that just kind of help us and, and almost carry us through sometimes yes. when we don't feel like we can. Um, you talked a little bit about the never-ending nature of grief. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share with us a little bit about what you mean by that? I can, especially now, Kate, and I don't know, I might have told you this when we last talked. There really is, I guess I'll call it a debate uh, in the grief community, uh, the grief support, grief recovery community. There are um, grief specialists who don't like the word recovery because they don't believe that we ever recover from grief. And there are people who um, don't like for some of us to say grief lasts a lifetime because they want to encourage people that we can get beyond our grief. 
I've always said grief lasts a lifetime. And I think when a parent loses a child, how could it be any other way? Because you've had this loss of potential and loss of dreams, and you're constantly coming up on milestones where you think if this child were living, this is what they'd be doing. But it's always just been my belief that grief, we don't, um, we don't out grief lasts for a lifetime. We don't outgrow it. We don't get beyond it. But it it is that's not a bad thing because grief is our love. It's it's we have it because we love and our love doesn't end. So our grief doesn't end. But the important thing is that we do live with our grief. It doesn't need to overwhelm the rest of our lives. And we can be happy and we can have new dreams and new possibilities. And that's what I work with families to help them get. Because when you've got a young family and you have a loss of dreams, you need to be able to get new dreams or you or you just don't have a happy future. So, um, yes, grief doesn't end. And I know this now because I've had a couple of podcasts where they've said, we just really, because I often talk about my daughter, that's the work I do. And many of the podcasts I'm on, I'm telling them about the story of losing my son and what it was like for my daughter and why I'm now working with families raising siblings. But there were a couple of podcasts that said, we want to focus on your son. We want to focus on your journey. We want you to tell us what it was like for you Oh, and I didn't want to go back there, Kate, but I I had to. That was what they wanted. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go back and look at this. And I went back and looked at pictures of our life before my son died when we didn't know what his death date was or even that he was going to die for sure because he did go into remission twice um, and then his cancer came back. And so we had hope of getting past it. But I went back and, you know, looked at those pictures and relived that and that feeling, the feeling that I had when I lost him 21 years ago was as real to me as ever. And I, after the second podcast, you know, asked me for information I went back looking for. I carried that grief for three days until I went on a trip out of town and got my mind off of it. It was just like I was back there again. So I have put in my mind, I have put to to rest the debate of whether or not grief lasts a lifetime because I've had a lot of happiness. I've, you know, I've uh, coped with our loss. My daughter has coped with our loss and we're not, we're leaving, living a good life, but we still carry our grief for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's kind of a testament mm-hmm. to that book, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you have read oh, that, but it's, you know, it I talks haven't. about how uh, when we experience a trauma like that, um, once we start having a flashback or going in and looking at pictures and remembering, you know, the the moment something happened, our body doesn't know the difference between whether it's happening now or 21 years ago. And it's what you just yes. said is a testament to that. Yes, absolutely. That body, spirit, mind connection is is powerful and it doesn't end. We have that memory, you know, our body has that memory. 
Mm, absolutely. Yeah. How would you say that the loss of David is different today than it was then? I know we talk about you know, how you can think back, you can look at pictures and it feels the same and you can kind of recall those feelings very quickly. Um, how would you say your, your grief is different today? It's, it's settled in, I guess, is the way I would say it. I, we live with our grief every day. We, I don't fight it now and it doesn't need to, um, it doesn't need to attack me because it's just a presence in my life. And it's, it's a, it's a, a warmth for lack of a better word, but, and it's always there. One of the things that I, uh, that describes for me what grief is like is the, the image uh, or the metaphor of skating on a frozen lake. And I live in, in Northern Minnesota, or I grew up in Northern Minnesota. I now live in the Twin Cities. And so we know a lot about frozen lakes and how when you're, when you're out on a lake, it's beautiful on a frozen lake. But if you look down into the ice, the ice is black. Under the ice is black because it's water down there. It's dark, it's black. So I liken grief to skating around on a frozen lake. And I got really good at skating really well and doing figure eights and just skating around on the ice and, you know, people watching and, and would say that I was skating really beautifully. But ever so often, you fall into the ice, you crash through the ice, and just below the surface, it's icy black cold. And that's where my grief is. And I crawl out again and start start doing figure eights again. And usually people don't notice when, when you fall in. And I hardly ever fall in now. I used to fall in more often. And so, uh, and I just hop out now. I don't stay in the water. I just hop out. It's easier to get over it but I still have my temper tantrum moments and I still have times when I just really weep because I want my son back and it will never be okay that I don't have him and that his sister doesn't have him. And that still is the, her loss is still the most heartbreaking thing I've ever experienced. What just, an uh, in Incredible metaphor, though, about the the skating on the ice. I, mm -hmm. I have goosebumps, not not from imagining the cold, but that just resonates <laughs> so much with yeah. with me. And you know, I've never experienced the loss of a child, but with the loss of my mother, which is what kind of yes. brought me to this podcast. Um, it it that is so true. It's been about two and a half years for me, and that ice skating metaphor is just perfect. I fell, I fell through the ice just the other day while I was at work and yeah. you're right. It was, it's kind of now you, you jump back out of it and you can, you can move forward a little bit quicker um, yes. than, than in the beginning. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is, I think that's going to help so many people. Um, you know, and that is so normal. Yes. And we talk about those grief attacks and they are so normal. And I think when people start to grieve, what we hope is that we will get to a place where it just doesn't hurt anymore. 
and never hurts anymore. And we can get to a place where we can skate for a long time, you know, and, um, and, and when, and maybe we'll just trip on the ice, maybe we won't fall in. But if you do that, that, that really does happen. We really do have those grief attacks. And I mean, with a mother, you know, she was there your whole life, how many memories you have of her and how many, I mean, no matter who our loved one is, there can be just the slightest thing that can trigger just heartbreak again. And the good news is that we don't fall as deep. We don't stay as long. And we know, I think the other thing is we know we're going to get out of it again. And so we just kind of, I just kind of bear with it. It's like, okay, you know, I'm doing this again. And then, then you get better right away. And so that's the nature of grief. And if we, if we can just accept how grief is in our lives, then we can deal with it better and just allow it to be this presence that doesn't have to disrupt everything. Absolutely. And I think definitely I'm, I'm sure for myself and I'm, I can guarantee so many of our listeners will move forward with that ice analogy because it it gives a a great visual to the feeling Mm -hmm. of it when that happens. Um, Something that you said uh, just a minute ago is I don't fight my grief anymore. And in my mind, as I was in the thick of my grief, uh, I didn't feel like I was fighting it. But looking back, I know now that I was. And I'm wondering if you can describe for our listeners what fighting your grief looked like before you decided not to fight it anymore. Yes. And I'm so glad you asked that question, Kate, because um, my business is called Good Grief Parenting, and it's and it's named that because what I learned, and remember, I didn't know anything about grief when I started my journey. I'd, I'd hear about the five stages, and I wasn't going through them, and I thought, what am I doing wrong? And now I know that, that those five stages are not accurate. Many people don't go through five stages, and when people expect to do that, it can be um, up, you know, can be upsetting. And it was for me. But what I learned was, um, you know, that there isn't just one way to go through grief, and that the way that we heal from grief, as uh, Earl Grohlman, who is very, uh, you know, is very much a pioneer in the grief um, community, says, the only way to get past grief is to grieve. We just have to go right through it. And there's so much in our in our society that we that some people believe about grief, which is I'm just going to keep busy. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Um, I'm just you know I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to wait for it to go away. I mean there are a lot of those attitudes, and those are not helpful attitudes. Good grief is when we just know I've lost a loved one. I've lost someone so important to me. I need to grieve. This is normal and natural. This is what my body needs to do. And grief is just isn't just sadness. It's what you talked about earlier, that whole it's what your body does, what how your body responds, your thoughts. It's just everything about your being is is uh, touched by and involved in your grief. And so good grief is just allowing 
your body to experience loss in all the ways that make it grief. And then it starts to, um, it starts to ease. And you also need to just be aware of what you need to do. When I talk to parents, the very first thing that I say you need to do to help your child is to help yourself make sure you're taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. just if you if you need to grieve um do it if you need someone to watch your child because today you just don't know that you can you know handle them get someone to watch your child uh you know if you don't normally watch it let them watch tv put in a movie let them mm-hmm. watch a movie it's okay you know, um, so good grief is just something that we try not to push away, that we just recognize we need to be in and go through. And, you know, I help families understand uh, the ways that they can do that and just be gentle with themselves and gentle with other people and find people who will listen and let them talk, which is one of the best things that you can do to have good grief is to talk about your feelings and your loved one and speak their name and share memories and find people who are willing to do that with you and just listen to you. Those are some of the ways that you can embrace your grief and find that you heal through that. And that's good grief. And we give that to our children by role modeling that this is normal and natural, and we it makes us feel horrible, but this is how we just go through it, and then we start to feel better and live forward and have new hopes and dreams. That's such so a, a beautiful... Yeah, I think um, it takes time, and that's the thing. People often don't want to give grief the time that it takes, but it'll take the time whether we give it to it or not. You know, it's, are you going to, um, you know, be able to feel better or are you going to be kind of stuck in a bad place because you're just fighting it? Do you agree that it almost takes more time when you do fight it? Well, yes, you don't you don't heal that way. There are are people who uh, will come, um, you know, as adults will realize that they're grieving something that happened years ago because they just never dealt with it. Then you're not going to outrun it. It's going to it's going to appear in some way regardless. And so, yes, I do think that you. I mean, we say grief lasts a lifetime, but the thing that is going to take longer is being able to adjust to it and assimilate it into your life in a way where you can live and be happy and enjoy life with your grief. When you fight it, you don't ever give yourself a chance to invite it in and get comfortable with it. And so it's kind of a thorn in your side longer or a you know, a rock in your shoe or whatever. So yeah, I think so. I think it does take longer. I have mm-hmm. two final questions for you, Michelle. The f- The first one is, what advice might you give somebody who can't seem to overcome the fear of experiencing that grief? I would, I 
I think the uh, I've never been asked that question before. I the first thing that comes to mind for me is that if you are fearing grief, you're probably doing everything you can to avoid it and ignore it. And I would say the first thing to do would be to talk about it or journal about it, but allow yourself to give to give voice to what it is you're experiencing, whether it's with another person who will listen to you or whether it's just putting your thoughts into a book. If a person is really stuck, uh, then they, they may need professional help to deal with it. Although you don't always need professional help, sometimes just the act of being willing to talk about it with someone who will listen and hear you and let you talk and be there for you is really powerful just being able to to put bring it into the light of day with words that would be where i would recommend starting i so agree with you and i think a lot of our our listeners will be able to take that advice to heart and i hope that they do um, my mm-hmm. last question for you, is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners who may be experiencing something similar to what you experienced? Well, one thing I would say to follow on to what I just said is if you are someone supporting a griever, know that there is nothing you can say to make them feel better. And that should be a relief to you. You don't need to try to say anything to make them feel better because you can't anyway. So what you can do is just say, I'm here for you. Do you want to talk about so-and-so? You know, I'd love to listen and just be a listener. Just say, I don't know uh, what to do for you, but I'm here for you. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for whatever you need, but also don't ask them what they need because they don't know. Um, And, you know, so just tell them you're here and you don't know what to say, but you're there for them and listen when they talk. And that's all you need to do. That will mean so much to them. And um, I. What was the second part of the or what was the question? It was what would I say to someone who's experiencing a loss like mine? Yeah. I think, first of all, as a parent, you need to trust your heart because you love the child who died. You also love the child who lives. And you can love them both. And you will, you never have to leave behind the child who died. That's another thing that parents struggle with is living forward and leaving their child behind. You don't have to do that. You can have their memories in your life. You can do things to remember them. You can talk about them. Um, That's continuing bonds. And you can learn more about continuing bonds just by Googling it. And it's powerful and it's really helpful and healthy. And you can tell your living child, 
how much you, how much they matter to you. Yes, I miss your brother who's gone, but I'm so glad you're here and I love you so much and you are so important to me. And that, that I think, and I call those messages that we as parents need to give to this young child essential messages because your living child needs to know. They will feel all kinds of things. They will wonder if you would have rather they died instead of their brother because you, they see how sad you are about your brother. So they need your reassurance. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You can't be a perfect parent. Don't try to be. Don't, don't, you know, don't get mad at yourself when you do something you wish you hadn't done. Just um, love the child you have. Love the child you lost. And balance your feelings and be honest with your living child and parent with your heart. That's what I would say. Your heart knows and you have a lot of internal wisdom of your own and you can trust that. And if you'd like help with that, you can certainly talk to me because that's what I help families with. And I have, you mentioned that's your last question. So I'll say I have a good grief guide on my website. My website is goodgriefparenting.com. That's goodgriefparenting.com. And right on my homepage, you can download my good grief guide, which just helps parents get started on sort of some of the first key things, some of which I've talked about today, to help them help their young child when their family is grieving. Well, actually, the good grief guide helps parents who want to help their child with any grief, not just child loss. But um, I would rec- I would just really recommend that everyone listening go get that because even if you don't need it, someone you you know may need it, or I hope you don't ever need it, but someday you may, and then you will have the good grief guide. It's just a few short pages with some uh, good tips for you to uh, know how to help children with grief. Perfect. And we'll have uh, the link to your website in our um, bio when we when we put this this episode up. Michelle, thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us and for having this conversation with me today. I know that this will touch so many of our listeners and help countless people through um, a really, really challenging time. So thank you for sharing David with us and sharing your your experience. I'm sure it's going to be invaluable for so many people. Well, I hope so. Um, Thank you, Kate, for having me here. And I've just enjoyed talking with you and also learning about your story and what brought you to Death Dialogues. And I know that you, you know, that you're doing what you're doing with just really a lot of heart as well. So I've enjoyed meeting you and talking with you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.